welcome to Agents of Smooch. We are back to romance in action with a classic 1986 movie, The Big Easy. This is a movie I think of as part of the zeitgeist, at least for those of us who have lived through the 80s, but it's not one that I have ever seen before. I know now that this was way too steamy for me in 1986, but just write the amount of steamy for me today. This movie is a police procedural that I expected, but it has a romance that is threaded through between Dennis Quaid and Ellen Barkin's characters. They bring the heat, which is why it is a perfect mission for Smooch. I am director of Smooch, Annette Weirstra, and for this mission, I am joined by Agent Shelley Brisbane. Hello, Shelley. Hello. Watch out for the alligator, baby. <laughs> yes, you gotta watch out for them. And we also have Agent Agent Deb Sanish, who was the one who suggested this steamy mission. Hello, Deb. Hello. I think, you know, the well known movie Big Easy might be a misnomer. But it is my it is my goal in life to have more people know of this film because it's so good. I've definitely had heard about it though. I but it's kind of like fallen off the 80s radar of of movies that you think about like it's not a crocodile dundee or romancing the stone it's just one of those movies that kind of Mm. slipped into obscurity can we replace crocodile dundee with the big easy though Uh, i'm i'm on board with that mission yeah i'm okay i'm okay yeah let's do that mission accomplished just to give a little summary assistant district attorney ann osborne played by ellen barkin who, by the way, Ellen Barkin and Dennis Quaid are like adorably babies in this movie. I'm like, you are so, so beautiful babies. Uh, she arrives in New Orleans to investigate police corruption just in time to monitor de- Detective Lieutenant Remy McSwain, played by Dennis Quaid, who is investigating a series of murders and is thwarted by the thin blue line at every turn, except for when Remy, like, is very, very into seducing her. Uh, And I think he's paying more attention to that than the police work, to be honest, which is like probably why I've forgotten almost everything that's happened in the mystery. And I'm just going to ready to talk about seduction. Uh, There's a bunch of detecting, but, you know, mostly we just care about will they or won't they? And I'm going to tell you right now, they will. Boy, will they. Yeah. I want to start with you, Deb, because this was your suggestion when we're talking about sort of action romance. It was. I I love this movie. I mean, I loved it the first time I saw it. And I, I guess it was about a year ago. And I saw that it was on a streaming service. I thought, I wonder if it holds up. Now, it is very much of its time, mm-hmm. but as far as a romance, it 100% holds up. And as even as far as a really good police procedural movie, it holds up. And I was just, I was so chuffed that like this movie that I had such fond memories for, because they don't always, you know what I mean? Nope. Sometimes you go back and you hit that nostalgia button and it's like so cringy. Um and this one, this one really held the mark for me. I think the story is really good. I think it's it's a very seductive story on a couple different levels. Um, obviously, the romance between Ellen Barkin's character and Dennis Quaid, um, who, by the way, is, New Orleans accent is not that great. But you know, <laughs> it's if, not. if there's if if you have to have a flaw, like that's a flaw I'm okay with. I can I can let that one go. Um, 
But the movie really kind of seduces you into the bigger story, which is an absolute terrible case of police corruption. Mm -hmm. And you start off being feeling that it's a little benign, just like Remy feels that it's a little benign. And then when it takes a darker turn and you get into, you realize that the police corruption isn't just getting a free meal at the restaurant or helping somebody out who might have a problem. Um, and you realize that it has turned into drug dealing and murder. And you're like, oh my gosh, you know, you can see how easy it is for somebody who grew up in that system has Remy's father was a cop and it was just always the widows and orphans fund of little kickback money they would get. And like, why shouldn't they, they're putting their life on the line and they're performing a service for the community. If they want to give them a little extra, you know, no harm. Um, and you, you kind of fall into that a little bit like, yeah, this isn't so bad. You know, why, why is Ann Osborne all up in their business? And then you realize that, oh yeah, you know, Remy doesn't realize how deep and dark the corruption goes. And as you find out, it's not only the awakening interest between the two of them, but also him finding his moral center, which, mm -hmm. let's face it, was a little squidgy in the beginning of the film. So, I mean, I just, I think it's a great, I think it's a great movie. And I don't have many complaints about it at all, other than that accent. <laughs> I think that is a fair complaint. Shelley, what is your experience with this one? I, I think I might have seen it when it came out, but I don't have any memories. That's a long time ago. So let's just say I did, but that I don't remember it. Um, I have mixed feelings about this movie. And sometimes when people say that, it's the preparation for them to trash it totally, which is not what I intend to do by any means. Um, it is of its time. And I, I should also say, um, I'm not from New Orleans. I've spent time there. I know a lot of people from New Orleans. So some of my reaction is going to be as a Southwesterner who is some feels more adjacent to New Orleans than I do to a lot of other cities where movies tend to be set. So I have strong feelings about the portrayal of New Orleans and the way New Orleans is used in the movie, both for good and for bad. Um, and I also, the things that are of its time that make, that that's, give me out. That is, is the whitest version of New Orleans you will ever, ever, ever <laughs> see. That cop shop is so lily white. It's incredible. And it's because it's New Orleans, especially, it feels weird. It feels extremely weird that it's as white as it is. There are a few black characters, but they're not on the good side in most cases. And so that does, doesn't feel authentically New Orleans in that regard. And a lot of the, they hit a lot of New Orleans tropes, just like if you saw a movie about San Francisco or Chicago or Dallas, for that matter, there will be all sorts of tropes that you would have to hit. And every single one of them gets notched in this movie. And it's a little uncomfortable. I have to say, though, that the opening shot, when we're going over the bayou and going into New Orleans and hearing the Beausoleil on the soundtrack, I was like, oh, this is great. This isn't going to be a generic rom-com that takes place in anywhere USA, even if anywhere is coded as Chicago or New York. And I like that, that at the very least, most of the characters in this movie have a New Orleans flavor that I believe, accents notwithstanding. Mm -hmm. And they are the kinds of characters that I want to see because they seem to be, a, they made a TV series out of this. And I can see them making a TV series out of this because there's so many characters who are richly enough to find that you could do a lot with them and that they're not just like your standard TV actors, right? So, uh, you know, I, I love that part about it. The romance is great. I it, it was steamier than I expected, and I liked it. And it's steamy, and we'll talk about it, but it's steamy in ways that I appreciated. It wasn't just 
sex for sex's sake, which is fine, but uh, it felt of the film. Um, Mm -hmm. I have mixed feelings about (laughs) the accent, (laughs) Dennis Quaid's accent, although he's... He's kind of adorable. He's kind of annoying because he's, uh, especially at the beginning, he's sort of aggressively pursuing Ellen mm-hmm. Barkin's character. And I'm never really a fan of the man trying to convince a woman to do something that it's not clear yet that she wants to do. But uh, we get over that because they do have end up having good chemistry together. So I guess in summation of my opening statement, I would say I have genuinely mixed feelings, but I have both good and bad things to say about the movie. Mm-hmm. Excellent. I look forward to both. Uh, for me, I think the thing, because I was, I was ready for steamy because I had been informed. This was quite steamy. Um, the thing that surprised me and didn't expect from a 1986 movie was for a a film to be so critical of the police department, which I'm like, I feel like there wasn't a time when we were more critical of police departments thinking back, like maybe that was, but um, the fact that the root cause of the problem, the story, the mystery, and like, hello, we're spoiling everything. I'm sorry, but it is the police corruption at the real villains are the police. And I, I was like, that actually made it feel a little more relevant and modern from today's perspective, even though it's very clearly an 80s movie. And that was not like, you know, I sort of expecting like, oh, yeah, you know, some gang or something is going to be the culprit and typical sort of mystery. And so I'm joking, I forget the mystery, but actually, I don't because it all sort of does become really important to the development of, of Remy as a character, and the relationship between Remy and Anne. Um, as they sort of start on the opposite sides of the question of police corruption and then over the course of the movie end up on the same side, which makes that um, a really interesting arc and framework for the movie. I can't speak to the New Orleans-ness of it as you can, Shelley, because I just, I've never been there and I don't, I know probably mostly what I know is tropes from other shows and movies. So um, I'm really interested in that perspective it was filmed on location in new orleans and so it's not that it doesn't look authentic it's not that there aren't a lot of characters who feel authentic because they do but it's almost like there are too many of them and every time there's Mm -hmm. a place that we go or every time that there's a you know we're going to talk about going to a restaurant or whatever it's something that somebody who had a passing knowledge of new orleans would know and it feels like they're trying if it was in san francisco there would have been eight shots of the golden gate bridge see look we're in san francisco i'm surprised Mm -hmm. there wasn't a garden district trolley car Uh, (laughs) but but, you know and and you know it's not even mardi gras but oh look there's a parade and we're in the warehouse with all the mardi gras floats which i thought was clever i liked that because it's like oh we we can't we're not going to have mardi but we're going to show where the floats are stored. <laughs> so, so it's 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 like it's great, but it's a little too much sometimes. And see, when the first time I watched it, that's the part that I loved because I, you know, what I knew of New Orleans was probably through Anne Rice, Vampire Diaries, <laughs> or Diary of a Vampire. And so, seeing all of that, and I, and granted, it's like the. I'm not going to say it's the Disney World version of New Orleans because it is it's definitely not the sanitized version of New Orleans that I remember seeing when I was there a few years ago. Um, you know, it's still a little gritty, but it had all of those tropes that 
I hadn't really experienced before. It wasn't a part of the world that I had a lot of knowledge of. So it felt like, you know, I got the highlight tour and the music, which I loved. The music is the first time I'd ever heard Zydeco music. So it that just really struck a chord when you when you went to um, the little party they had after Remy was acquitted. And you know, they had the band on the front porch and the, and Anne basically gets kidnapped by another police officer and dragged to this party. And, and I loved Remy's mother, um, who was played by, oh, my God, who is the actress that plays her? Uh, Grace Zabriskie. And, you know, she was just like, you know, why are you all sweating? And she's like, I was running. She's like, on purpose? <laughs> like, <laughs> running? What? You you are. You are now my hero. Like, yes. I, I love so you say forever and ever. So it just it was that local color. And again, it probably for somebody who had more knowledge of New Orleans, it probably definitely graded like, you know, if I saw an Amish movie right now, I don't live that far from Lancaster County, I would be like, Oh, no, that could. Uh. But you know, for somebody who's coming at it from a fresh perspective, it did feel like it hit the highlight reels of New Orleans. But I could really see how that would like, if you were had an intimate knowledge of New Orleans, it would be very grating. Just about everybody in the movie attempts a Cajun accent. And yeah. Quaid apparently worked really hard on his, Aww, and a lot of people praised heart. him, and a lot of people from New Orleans did not. Um, <laughs> and I guess, I think it was the, the number of Cajun accents that were there. It was like, okay, I get it. You have some people that have them. I could even accept Dennis Quaid's. It wasn't terrible. It wasn't perfect, but it wasn't terrible. Although him calling Anne or anybody else share every couple of seconds was kind of irritating. Uh, but... But it was does Dennis Quaid single... saying share. Like, I could live with that. <laughs> does every single person have to have some sort of Cajun accent? It's distracting. It's just yeah. like a little much. Yeah. I did love his mother. That I thought it was good. And the other, the other New Orleans detail that I really did like was in the first, the scene when they go to the restaurant and where they, you know, cut the line and get in free and there's dancing at the restaurant. That's very New Orleans. It just mm -hmm. feels, and it's because it feels like also a laid back evening. I mean, there's a line out front. It's a popular restaurant, obviously, but it's not like fancy time New Orleans. It feels like where locals might go. And how locals might spend their dinner hour is, you know, having have a little dancing before you have dinner. I thought that was good. And, of course, it's a great way for them to sort of begin to show that attraction that's building between them. Mm -hmm. right. And show the little bit of griff that he is in on mm -hmm. because, you know, he tries, he gets the bill and he's like, or, you know, he wants to pay the bill. And oh, who is the who is the proprietor? Um, the BAM guy. What's his name? The chef. Chef Paul. Chef Paul. It's a famous chef. And, you know, he's like, what do you mean? Like, we, we don't, I don't give you a bill here. And he's like, no, I would like to have the bill. Like, bill, give me please. the bill, guy. Impress this woman. <laughs> no, I am not on the take. Like, your money's no good here, Remy. Mm -hmm. And he's like, no, I always pay my bill. So, like, you start to, you start to see, like, okay, he's, he's not, he's not innocent. He's definitely in on this, you know, little bit of largesse. And, uh, you know, we're like, how deep does it go? But it doesn't go very deep with him. Yeah. Well, we and at that point, you deep. could think, oh, this guy is just like appreciative of him and his work and doesn't let him pay. Like at that point, you're like, well, I don't know. And it just becomes more and more revealed how deep in he is, which is deeper than you'd like him to be. Um, but I do love that scene where he's trying to get her to dance. And I have danced with people where I don't know how to dance, where you just need to like I've learned if someone's going to dance with you and you don't know what you're doing, relax and just go with the flow. And you can see you can see Anne 
doing that where at first she's just so tense and then that like they're just at odds and clashing with each other and then as it goes the scene goes on they start becoming more and more in sync and then they become in sync (laughs) and you're just like oh yeah well and I think that's the scene where I become less irritated with him for being pushy because he's he he's continues to be pushy and he's sort of like look how charming I am through the, a lot of the movie until he sort of finds his center which is much later in the movie mm-hmm. uh he still is is that way and that's kind of part of the guy he is but in this scene he's I mean he's obviously flirting with her he's attracted to her and he's doing something that he hope will get will, will make him successful with her but it works and it you know he has to sort of come to where she is in terms of like you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna show you this thing that you don't how to know how to do, but we're we're gonna have fun out of it. He's not forcing her to do it by, and that's the thing. Like, I don't want to leave the impression that he is aggressive and he's not taking no for an answer because, I mean, he he he's he's aggressive the way a man who's flirting with a woman is, but not aggressive the way a man who means the woman harm and doesn't care about her is, and so I I sort of have trouble especially because it's 1986, I have trouble sorting out whether I'm looking at it through 2023 eyes or whether I'm just like, maybe he is a little, he's a little much. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) but at the same time, I feel like that scene is the point where she is generally finding something to warm up to him, uh, you know, back. Like, I I, I, like her, I'm sort of going, oh, all right, this is, this might be fun, you know, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Emeril Lagasse, wasn't wasn't it Emeril Lagasse in this? I'm looking at the cast list because I know I could have swore he had in my maybe it's like one of those the Mandela effects that I could swear it was Emeril Lagasse was the chef at Tipitan and so came out but I could be wrong I feel like I'm gonna have to go back and watch it now yeah we'll again the movie. that's the only way to find oh no <laughs> I know absolutely um, uncredited like an uncredited uh, appearance well there are, but, are other uncredited appearances which we can get through as we go yeah. I mean, and honestly, the cast in this was so good. I mean, Ned Beatty's character, like, I did not suspect him. No. Until no, the very not. end. Like, that was a shocker. And I thought, you can see how it all worked. I kind of suspected could... John Goodman. But... <laughs> yeah, well, John Goodman, he was like, like the dumb henchman. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I know. But, but Ned Beatty, especially after... After, you know, Dennis, Remy's brother was shot and you're just thinking, like, this is getting really twisted now. Like, at that Mm -hmm. moment, like, it became deadly serious. And I think, you know, it was also the moment, I think, that Remy woke up and said, okay, there's something really bad. It's not just... It's not just a little give and take. It's not a little, you know, I take a little here and I get a free dinner every now and again. Like there's there's some deep rot. And it's a shame that it takes like it hitting that close to home to have somebody have that kind of awakening. But I felt that it was a good it was pretty typical of like that era's narratives that you mm-hmm. needed to have that um you need to have that tragedy hit close to I think to home. that's true. But the the number of people who die in this movie is quite high. And mm-hmm. they're not people that we know in large part. There's the guy right. who begins the movie. There's the mobster. And the, the, and they die in gruesome ways. They're the, the guys in the fire. Right. And, and by the time his brother gets shot, the body count is really high. And right. yes, I agree with you. I think for him to sort of get it. Not, two things have to happen. First of all, it hits him close to home. And second of all, he's getting closer to finding out where the corruption is. Because that's the thing. Until he has some clue about it, he can know that... I mean, he knows corruption exists. He's part of it. Right. But he doesn't know 
how deep it goes or how close to his personal, you know, his precinct house that corruption might mm-hmm. be. And as long as he's able to stay away from it and as long as he's able to say, well, I, I legitimately don't know because the people I deal with are just taking money. They're not killing anybody. Right. He's got he's got deniability for himself. Right. And then mm-hmm. they shoot his brother thinking it's him. And he's mm-hmm. like, you know, it's, it comes far too late because, as I say, all these people die and either they and, and the justification that that the uh, dead Betty character gives and, and the, the henchman, basically that all the people who died were, were bad guys and they were in some regard uh, part of the criminal underworld. We don't know them very well, but they they just keep dying throughout the movie. And the way they die, we are meant to sort of see them as another signpost along the way. But we're not really given an opportunity to stop and mourn the fact that, oh, wait, six or eight people have already died in this movie. Right. And it's like Daddy Mention is the one that, you know, we we see him humanized because we see him surrounded by family and surrounded yeah, by and we children. Meet him. Right. But everybody else is just like, you know, nameless thug is, right. is and, killed. And he's Daddy mentioned, of course, one of the few black characters in the movie. I feel right. compelled to point out. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's and Jack Kellum, which is Ned Beatty's character. Jack is like he's trying to, whether it's because of his relationship with Remy's mom, you know, he is trying to kind of protect Remy from the darker side of everything. Like he's almost acting as that this buffer between the really bad corruption and just the little corruption, you know, like the little I don't little know stuff. if I want to give him that much credit. I feel like at the end, he's, conf- you know, when Rennie confronts him, I think he's facing up to what he's been doing. He's been doing this for a really long time. Yeah. And I think his mot- motivation is probably mostly financial. And and he, he talks about, you know, how he's able to provide for his own family and for, for Remy's mom, who's going to be his wife. And I feel like he may be in some denial too. He knows those. He knows those guys got killed. I mean, he even says, you know, they're bad guys. And so he, I, I think he's. We're meant to have sympathy for him because of his relationship with Remy. But I think he's a better dude than if if we, if they if he had been around longer after we found out he was a bad dude. I think we would have thought a little less of him. I, I absolutely agree. And I don't think that he was doing it out of the goodness of his heart or, or not. I don't think he was doing it because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step a second back so I can phrase this. <laughs> he was trying to protect Remy because of the relationship they had with his mom. And he was trying to like that was the honorable thing that he could do. But his level of corruption and rot had become so deep that he just lost sight of maybe where he he's kind of where Remy would be in another 30 years if things had gone unchecked you know what I mean you know starting out with the little things and I have a little bit of extra money to take my girl out or to help her out with her bills and all of a sudden here's a bigger paycheck but we're gonna you know we're gonna try to turn a blind eye to some of the, the darker things like Remy is now he's he's at the beginning of the corruption stage and I think it just the rot got so deep that Ned Beatty's character just lost vision of what everybody had been doing all along and just you know the greed got to him and it was he was a he was a terrible character and the fact that like he almost killed the woman that he loves son to cover up his tracks you know, you just see like a little bit of corruption will eventually turn into complete corruption if it just goes on long enough. Yeah. And I think it it is like, uh, Shelley, you said earlier, it's like it almost feels like Remy's at a crossroads at this point. And it's I don't want to say Anne saves him, but Anne helps to see him to 
get through to the the corruption and allows him to make that choice. And I think it's really interesting narratively that he gets caught taking the um, the bribe and getting arrested. And that was basically a setup where they were trying to catch uh, Ned Beatty, Jack Kellum. So he kind of got caught when he doesn't, it, it, it seems like he wasn't normally the person who did that. Or if he did, you know, I don't know. But it, it, it was that setup. And then he gets caught and is the point person, which then creates that whole drama between Anne and Remy, where um, yes, we're very attracted to each other. Yes, we have so much chemistry. But now we're not only sort of on different sides of an investigation, we're on different sides of a court case, which, mm-hmm. you know, they come together and then they get pulled right apart again because of that situation, which makes and of that course whole court she should scene. have recused herself from the case, but she absolutely. Did not. Uh, we'd have to admit we had sex with him then. <laughs> right. You know, I think it's interesting, too. I know we've not talked about the steamy part of this. We keep talking yes. about the police procedural part of it. But Remy is genuinely upset when he gets arrested. Like, yeah. he is not. You can tell, like, I am just a little corrupt. Because, like, anybody who has been through the process before would know, like, I'm going to get out of here. Like, it would be a nonchalant. Okay, this is all a big mistake. Like, he's genuinely terrified. And he plays that really well. Like, I didn't think this could happen. Like, what's going on? Like, this is so far out of the realm of the way things are supposed to be. Like, we're we're in a whole different world here now. And I, mm-hmm. I think that really showed, too, that he, the grift that he was involved in had been, you know, pretty mild stuff up until this point. Like, he was clearly, he was aware of taking the bribes from business owners, but he didn't really see that it was you know what's the big deal of that until all of a sudden it affected him the consequences there was consequences you effed around and then you found out and poor ellen barkin is just ann osborne is sitting on the other side just exasperated at the shenanigans that went on i was so mad for her (laughs) (laughs) yeah because i think regardless of the personal well not regardless of but I think she would much rather have recused herself from that case than have to do it because her boss basically said, throw the book at him and, you know, charge a high bail. And she tries to and then they get it knocked down. But, I, you know, it, it wasn't that like she was prosecuting him and going easy on him. She was doing her job. She was kind of forced to. I think given a choice, she probably would have said, you know, I'm going to call in sick that day. Mm hmm. But the system was all completely against her, right? Which which is what you'd expect in a corrupt system is that the corrupt system would protect the corruptors and the corrupt people. So, you know, he, he doesn't get the high bail. They have this whole kind of elaborate heisty sort of thing where they destroy the videotape evidence with, with magnets and stuff, which was... So 80s. It was like... No, but also okay, <laughs> fine. It, it was it was played for comedy too. Like a, yes. a lot of the corruption stuff, you know, the, the corruption at Remy's level was to a large extent played for comedy, and corruption in the form of extortion, extortion, pretty bad. Don't do that. Yeah. Um, it's you know, and heroin much worse, I guess. But I'm part of me is thinking, wait, so extortion of innocent business people, which is a day to day fact of being a cop is sort of mild around the edges. Yes, compared to murder, but I think it's pretty darn bad. Mm-hmm. I, and as far as like the idea of, of, of corruption in the police being part of a movie uh, of the 80s, I think by the, you know, the early 70s, we had Serpico. So we sort of have 
corruption in police ranks. And then they're further going forward, their TV and there's there's movie where you see police corruption. I do think the way they did it in this movie, sort of light peddling, there, there were neither crusading people, uh, other, you know, Anne was obviously anti-corruption, but she wasn't doing it with a heavy hand. Mm-hmm. That side wasn't represented particularly strongly other than corruption bad, let's make it go away. And corruption being endemic in the system, I, I guess that's part of the problem I have with the representation of New Orleans, because I feel like the filmmaker is laying a lot of that at, oh, you know you know how in New Orleans is, they're all mm-hmm. corrupt. And there's this expectation. And, and look, I, I am not naive. I am sure there's a great deal, there has been proven a great deal of corruption in the New Orleans Police Department. A lot of it has to do with race, by the way. Have to mention that again, because, whew, so white, so white, this movie. Uh, but uh, it feels like uh, any big city has its own corruption story. Chicago has a corruption story to tell. New York City has a corruption story to tell. And it's not that I'm saying New Orleans doesn't, but I feel like putting setting it in New Orleans is doing a lot of the work in terms of, oh, normal corruption is normal. You just don't understand how things work down here. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of that. You know, we're in a little southern town and we have ways of doing things. And you Yankees come down here and you tell us we can't do the things the way we normally do. And, mm-hmm. and we don't like you for that. And and so it feels like we're, it's not they're not making a straightforward case about police corruption being acceptable. They're relying on the sort of southern trope of endemic corruption to to get around it. Yeah, I, I can't argue with that at yep. all. I, I agree. But we do also do get a really good that courtroom scene. I just have to mention um, we have Charles Ludlam playing Lamar Parmentel as the attorney that represents Remy and oh my gosh I just loved his character I just thought it was <laughs> and again I know we're leaning into stereotypes but just leaning into stereotype that like okay I get this it's it spoke to me but he just played this really wonderful uh, attorney who is I'm going to represent who I'm going to represent. I my I don't know that I have a moral code whatsoever, but I can argue for what I need to argue for. <laughs> and it just, it did show that, as you were mentioning, Shelley, it did mention that little, okay, this is how, this is how the town works. Like, I know everybody here. I knew your mama. I knew your daddy. I know everybody. It's a small town. And it just kind of leaned into all of those stereotypes of, um, of of what corruption and what uh, sort of fraternization that you would see in what is essentially a town where everybody knows everybody else. Mm-hmm. It was that doesn't take away that doesn't take away from his performance. And sadly, he died like a year after this movie. Oh. Was released. I know it's really. I, I wanted to like it. I really do. But it just felt like such a caricature to me. And I it was one I of those do. things where like I'm not predisposed to dislike it because it has stereotypes in it. But it just felt it was so. It was it was much it was too much for me and I know it actually got some praise I think Roger Ebert really liked his performance too so I'm probably wrong quote unquote but I'm allowed to be wrong and I just the the one scene that I really I <laughs> you like can the scene feel later what you when, feel Shelley there is I no feel judgment. what I feel you I do. like the scene later when they go to see Daddy Daddy mentioned and they he runs into uh, uh, Remy runs into him and what is it what is it uh, Charles Lundsen character it says I only represent sleaze balls or something like that it's like I like that that's you know he's self aware <laughs> <It's> very self aware. <laughs> I did like his performance. I recognize what it is for what and what it was trying to do, and it did it for me. <laughs> it's fine. That's fair. Well, and at, at that point too, you have Remy leaves the situation feeling really triumphant because he feels like he has won, and it isn't until later that he actually has sort of the epiphany or 
finds his line in the sand that he cannot cross. Um, so at that point, it's like, uh, it is like sort of a really triumphant scene. And I actually feel just horrible for Anne because she is not treated well by the system. She is not treated by well by many of the people around her. And then she also, you know, is dealing with this guy who she had amazing chemistry with. And he's apparently... Um, well, she's pretty sure he screwed her case very intentionally and cares nothing for how she feels about it, which is not great relationship material. No, that's that's not firm footing to get things started. But my God, do they sizzle. Oh, Indeed. yes, they yeah. do. <laughs> and I, I don't know that I would have looked at them separately and thought, you know what, those two would be good together. But they mm-hmm. absolutely are. They really yeah. are. And I think what I really appreciated at the time, because this is an R-rated movie, which surprised me. I don't remember it being an R-rated movie the first time I saw it. But for an R-rated movie, there was, it it was not explicit, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. There was a lot of shifting of clothing around in a very... Facial expressions. Facial expressions. um, You know, you had a little bit of... You know, there was some leg, there was some really nice shirtless Dennis Quaid moments, but, you know, when they were in bed and, you know, proceeding to go through the act, it just was so incredibly seductive without being very explicit, if that makes Uh sense. You didn't see a lot of skin. You just saw the suggestion, like you knew where it was going, but it just, it's one of the, the better uh, love scenes that uh, you know if I'm going to talk about something that's steamy that doesn't make me cringe and want to turn away like this is what I think about I, I agree and I also think a couple of other things make it work really well first of all the whole sort of awkward business of she's she becomes uncomfortable and you know they're she she's wants to pull away and he sort of brings her back in not by pouncing on her not by saying mm-hmm. getting mad because she's saying no but basically by seducing her back and it works and you see there there's once you've seen that scene you can see that she is a willing happy and eager participant because mm-hmm. as i say the facial expressions uh, you know we see we, we see when she is experiencing her her joy uh and and i think <laughs> both of because it's awkward and because there's a little bit of humor they they've gotten to this way in a fairly relaxed comfortable way with each other it's not like again it's not like he's overpowering her or can trying to convince her to do something she doesn't want to do nor is it that they're just uh it's not i mean they're horny for each other but not in this sort of like everything is very serious and very intense way they're 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 having fun with each other and i Mm -hmm. think that makes it really sexy and really multi-dimensional because it's not just okay we're now going to show a sex act and we're going to see dennis quaid without his shirt we're going to see some leg uh but but there's a there's a dance there's a negotiation that goes Mm -hmm. on between them and they both get to a point that makes them very happy there's also a conversation though like he pauses to say like have talked to her about why she's feeling reluctant and what she's uncomfortable with and they talk through it which is great from a consent perspective that was exactly the point i was going to make as well i mean she's just like i'm not very good at this and Mm -hmm. he's like i think you're pretty darn good at it like you know why is it that you're like you said, why is it that you're feeling this way? Because this is not the person, the person that you think you are is not the person that I'm seeing. And you don't get the sense that it's just a line that he's no. using to to get her to 
acquiesce to the act of sexual intercourse. Like he's really attracted to her and he just doesn't understand why she is so self-conscious in this moment. And he, like you said, Shelly, he seduces her back into the moment and she is, she goes with it. And I think she just, she finds a level of confidence and you can, it just, it is such a good, good scene because of the humor, because of the conversation. And it just feels like it's one of my favorite romantic scenes and not mm-hmm. so much because it is hot and sexy, but I just, I love the dynamic that they have. That's where his charm works for him so much because he's able to seduce her back and he's, you know, he's, he has confidence in himself as a person sexually as he has confidence that she's attracted to him. Not only that he's attracted to her, but he believes that she's just not able to express herself and in a way that he thinks she can and should and will. And if he just, you know, helps her a little bit and it, you feel that. And you, so, so at that point, that sort of confidence and that charm that he has is converted into seduction and it really works. Yeah. Well, and then after that level of vulnerability is when you have the court case, right? So that makes, that adds so much narrative tension between them in the courtroom outside of the courtroom relationship wise and then you and so then Remy gets acquitted and you bring her into the party and she has to like sort of negotiate that situation he has to negotiate that and sort of woo her back and deal with what just happened and this is where you know it's kind of a jerk move because he doesn't understand what he did to her professionally right no you know, and it's just like, oh, what's the big deal, Cheryl? Well, I'm like, sending a cop to pick her up to bring her to the party involuntarily. Yes. Yeah. I don't like that at all. Yeah. I, I I like the party scene itself. I like her interaction with her his mother, but I don't like the way she gets there and and yeah. why. I, it it makes me uncomfortable. Yeah, it was it was really a jerk move on his part, and it it makes him. It, that's where he went from being confident to cocky, and it's like, all right, you're you're gonna get a coming up in here because, you know, that just that was not it, and it really showed the divide that they have, where he's thinking this is no big deal, I won, it was no crime that was committed, it was so inconsequential, why is everybody so pressed? And she's like, you don't understand, like you just absolutely destroyed something I have been working on for so long and you don't even see the quicksand that you're standing on. And I Mm -hmm. think at that point, it just, the party scene was great, but that underlying tension was just, it was there. And he was like, you're such a jerk, Remy. (laughs) Well, and then you really see how integrated Jack is with Remy's family. Yes. So that makes his, the reveal of him so much more because, yeah, it's just disappointing, right? You've got this guy, he was really excited was going to be asking his mother to marry him right good old boy you know he's up boiling shrimp and and just having a great time and he's a paternal figure and you know like that reveal was Uh (laughs) gut-wrenching it was really gut-wrenching so then you sort of get to the the final scenes where we have the reveal that jack is in it up to his eyeballs as well as a lot of the other detectives and Remy sort of has to has a choice well you you also have that really great moment when he's like when he goes in and he gets all the records and he Mm -hmm. he and aunt confiscate all the records and you know at that point he's making a choice that you know uh, 
it's time. Like we need to get to the bottom of this. We need to figure out what's going on. And that, I think that's what draws her back in the second time Mm -hmm. because she sees somebody who is willing to, to face the truth, to face reality and, and look and say, well, maybe, maybe things aren't as innocuous as I led you to believe. And that I honestly believed. And I think that's, that's the moment that she's, she's fighting it. She's fighting it, Mm -hmm. but she definitely, you can tell there's that little spark of attraction that's back again. Well, I think she sees him take a risk there, too, because he's not only saying, all right, I'm going to find corruption where it is, but they they go into the police station, they've got a warrant, and he has his family members who he can trust. And and my part of me was like, can he really trust them? Are Mm -hmm. we sure? Uh, You know, I was prepared to find out that one of them was bad. Uh, But he's vulnerable in the sense that he doesn't know where this is going to take him. He doesn't know it's going to take him to his potential father-in-law, but he knows that on some level he could find out that somebody he trusts or at least has some relationship with is dirty. And he's not only vulnerable to that knowledge, he's vulnerable literally by standing there in the police station and being in charge of them taking the records out. And so I think she sees that he that's important for him, but it's also very important for her in terms of the way he acts in that moment. Right. Yeah. It's a 180 from his choice before, right? Where as before he chose to destroy inf- evidence now he is choosing to help her get evidence so that's a big shift in how he's approaching this it's huge and i was honestly kind of surprised i i you know you know you're kind of going to get a happy ending because of the movie poster <laughs> but <it's, laughs> um i was kind of surprised he 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 went in that direction like it was like we're gonna we're gonna figure out what's going on we're gonna we're gonna get to the bottom of this i think secretly he's hoping he finds nothing Mm -hmm. but he's willing to take that chance and i think that's that's real growth on his part but of course then you know we get his brother is being get shot and that just blows the lid off of everything and then it all goes to hell in a handbasket after mm-hmm. that. But she looks great. Can we talk about her skirt <laughs> with the boots and the little ankle socks? Oh, like goodness. that's a look we can bring back. Like that's an '80s look that was just real. It was, you know, you can run in it. You can jump from a boat. You still look adorable. You know, it's just it's a good look. Yeah, it is like soft fabrics and practical footwear. Yeah, love mm-hmm. it. I think I don't think I've gotten a chance to say this. I couldn't figure out where exactly to put it. But for me, this movie, the, the something about the feel of it says television detective show to me more than movie. Mm. And that's not a criticism because I miss movies that were of a more human scale. And so I think it's interesting because and and, and include up to and including the proceed police procedural parts where we're at we're at crime scenes, we're on boats, we're doing shootouts and all that kind of stuff. Every one of those is is something that you would expect to see in a 70s or 80s or 90s or whatever uh, detective TV series. And it's just kind of interesting because if you think about sort of the scale of what movies have to be today to be considered you know, big movies, even if they're not blockbusters, even if they're just sort of rom com kinds of movies with a hope of making a profit, the scale and the way they shoot them. And I guess that what you were saying about the clothing made me think about that, because a lot of the times when we look at movies of the 80s, we're, we're very much looking for 
things that signify the 80s, like is it a high school of the 80s? Are the kids behaving the way they did? Are they using those crazy giant telephones that have cords <laughs> on them? <laughs> um, and this movie doesn't have a lot of sort of 80s signifiers beyond maybe a little bit of fashion, other than perhaps some uh, DNA that it shares with the way people were making detective TV series at the time. Yeah, it's a, it's a movie that I'm not sure would be made and released today. I mean, we've just moved so far beyond, like, not that this is a quiet movie, but I think it would be considered a quiet movie today. Um, you know, there's no superheroes. There's no big giant car explosions or, I mean, there's a good boat explosion at the end. But, you know, it just, it, it's a solid story from beginning to end and it might hit netflix it might be you know just to go straight to streaming yeah it probably would it like theatrical lease i don't know it would get a theatrical lease i think it would be a straight to netflix sort of thing yeah and i think we right now we're at a period where it's like a blockbuster goal or nothing right which is right. why we're not seeing as many rom-coms uh coming out and if they are they're often again straight to streaming or you know so it's, it, i kind of miss the middle movie where it's just it's just a movie kind of i miss it a lot it's why i don't see movies anymore <laughs> you don't need to have everybody go right like you don't need to have like millions of people going you could have a decent number of people in a particular subset of of us like you know w uh middle-aged women or you know make some movies for us we'll show right. up it's like it's friday night i want to go to a movie and eat some popcorn. exactly like it doesn't right. have to be a flipping event like i just want I to don't want to see a big super i don't need movie. to see the 13th marvel movie i haven't seen the 12th exactly one. oh my god what will i do right. like exactly. i feel like Could i have see, to do oh, homework there's that cute now. guy on the poster i think i'd like to go see that movie what's he do what's he up to with alan barkin yeah, give me, exactly. give me some cute outfits and uh, a, a decent narrative, and I'm going to come. Uh, also, the steaminess isn't going to hurt. <laughs> it's not going to hurt. And now, right. shirtless Dennis Quaid, like he could get it back in the 80s. I you know, had never it. really thought of him in that way before. I was like, that, yeah, very much so. Yeah. <laughs> 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 oh, so what did you think of the movie, Annette? You've, you've quizzed all of us on our thoughts and emotions. Like, where do you stand on the Big Easy? I really enjoyed it. I, I think it had a really good mix of, like, enough story drive and mystery. Because I'm actually, I'm a mystery junkie. If I'm going to default to any kind of watching and especially reading, I'm picking up mystery books. So something that has a... a a good mystery narrative that's strung through but then you combine I, my favorite part is mysteries with romance so like this is hitting all my buttons and it's it was really fun to go back in time and remember how how um these people like you know you see them now and you sort of forget how attractive they and probably all of us were in 1986 but it, it it's <laughs> And, and anything that actually has genuinely good chemistry between actors. I was watching, um, what was I watching the other day? Oh, it was the Netflix Persuasion. I didn't hate it. Um, that's probably a whole other episode sometime, maybe, maybe not. But I was like, the thing that drove me a bit bananas in it was the fact like, I'm, I'm like, I'm not feeling any chemistry between those lead actors. And if you're going to suck me into a romance, give me some chemistry. And these these two actors had it in spades, which really draws you along in that narrative. And I think combining the narrative 
so it is driven by the mystery, right? So you have them pulling apart and together through the thread of the mystery. It just feels like a really well-constructed story that um, I felt like still really held up and seeing it for the first time now didn't feel like, like you said, it didn't feel like it was super 80s. It just felt uh, like kind of a good classic detective mystery romance movie and two thumbs up, Deb. That's what I'm getting. I think it's really hard to mix genres like that and and do Mm -hmm. it well. I mean, plenty of movies try, but usually one side kind of suffers. And, you know, and and I think one thing that I liked about the romance is that it's not dominating the movie. There's so much police procedural stuff Mm -hmm. going on. And as I say, I think the only thing that I'm not certain that the movie gets wrong. I think that's up to the viewer to figure it out. The only thing in there is that, oh, my God, a lot of people do get killed. But there Mm -hmm. is a genuine mystery. We have villains that we find out at the end. We have an exciting boat shootout explosion thingy, which doesn't feel overdone. And, you know, to put all that together in a movie and come out at the end going, yeah, that was good entertainment. And neither side got short shrift. That feels like a win. Mm -hmm. And the ending is just so perfect. You just see them walking and dancing their way into a room. You're assuming it's like a hotel room. And she's in a wedding dress and he's in a suit. And, you know, there's, there's, I'm not sure what music was playing in the background. It was definitely, I don't think it was Zydeco, but it was definitely, you know, some sort of Cajun-esque music playing. And they're just so delighted in each other. So like they've, they live, they solved the mystery. They hopefully ended some corruption, probably not all, but, and they had their happy ending and it just, Mm -hmm. that's it. That's how it ends. Them dancing. You don't see the fallout of everything happening and who getting arrested and whatnot you just have a happy ending of these two people that been through something and got out on the other side and they their relationship was strong enough to survive that and that's ultimately that's what we want we want our happy ever after and in a hundred solid minutes of mystery yeah yeah (laughs) it wasn't too long long. yeah length was really good i thought the pacing was good yeah kind of like those movies that are like hitting you know, getting close to two hours, not quite two hours. You don't need to pause to go to the bathroom. Like you, mm-hmm. can, you can go through yep. in one sitting. You know, you got your got your little drink, you got some a little snack. I watched it to recover from physical therapy. And then when I was done, I was hungry. And so I had dinner. It was perfect. <laughs> perfect. <laughs> oh, I'm glad you liked it, Annette. I appreciate your concerns about it, Shelley, because if somebody if I if I knew New Orleans the way that somebody who lived there knew New Orleans or was very intimate with it. It probably mm-hmm. would be a little cringy, but um, I'm glad you guys liked it otherwise because I love this movie so much. <laughs> yeah. More people should watch it. Yes, definitely. Do a campaign. Uh, it is very difficult to get in Canada. I am in the U.S. right now, so I can watch it with both of you on Prime. In Canada, it's you can't even rent it. You can't even really? purchase it. And I'm like, it's. I find this so frustrating about this day and age of, of streaming where I expect everything to be at, like, at least let me purchase or rent it. It's on a lot of services here. It's on Tubi, so you can watch it mm-hmm. for free. With Actually, I was surprised because I happened to watch it on Tubi just because that was quickest for me. And I was surprised how few ads there actually were. It's not like uh, Roku's channel or some of the other th- things I've watched where it's ad-supported movies and they interrupt every five seconds so it was like mm-hmm. one little quick ad every you know there were there were ads certainly uh, but you can get it on youtube and apple tv and prime and all sorts of places so it's worth digging up 
hundred percent. You really want a good, good steamy consensual. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I Ish. love seeing. Yeah. Oh. The agency's all a little horny sometimes, so we just want a little steamy. <laughs> Sometimes it's kind of our job, isn't it? It is our job. Yes, it's in the it's in the uh, mission statement. I think. Yeah. And can we just like we have to close on how adorable is Remy and his little stuffed alligator? <laughs> oh yes, a man who has a, pe- a stuffed alligator. I mean, you can't. That's that's just yeah. That's cute. That's adorable. Gator's gonna get. If you. I can't have you, can I have the alligator? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was afraid there was gonna be drugs in the alligator. Oh my god. <laughs> This just came back to me, and I remembered this watching it the first time and thinking this was a really low-key, sexy scene, is when she stays over for the first time. They're not having sex. And she uses his toothbrush. And he's just like, sure, take the toothbrush. And she just grabs the toothbrush and uses it. I'm just like, there's something going to happen here. That's (laughs) intimacy. That is intimacy. That is a level of trust right Uh there. Like you you have subconsciously admitted to yourself whether you want to admit it overtly that there's mm-hmm. something happening here mm-hmm. and i just remember being like that's a little hot actually <laughs> that's great i love that so before we close we'll just do a quick round of final thoughts shelly any final thoughts from you well as i say i i, I think there are things wrong with it and things that that great a little bit, but I enjoyed it. And I, and I, it's a pleasure to say that I have mixed feelings about a movie and genuinely mean more positive ones than negative ones. I just would be remiss if I didn't point out a few little things that annoyed me. Uh, but, but overall it was, it was, a, and it was a fun watch. Like if I think back on it, what I think back on was overall, it's a fun movie. Both character, both live characters are fun. The soup of that is New Orleans as they depicted here is fun with a lot of other fun characters some of whom are hamming it up some of whom are not so just overall I think it's it was a good experience I am glad how about for you Deb you know the one thing that I probably it took away from this movie the most that I appreciate it most for is I had never really heard any you know other than Hank Williams like any type of Cajun or Zydeco music growing up and it introduced me to a whole genre of music that I just learned to really love and when I did have the opportunity to go to New Orleans like going onto Bourbon Street and going into a Zydeco bar and hearing a live Zydeco band it just was it it was just amazing so I think that part of the movie whether it is you know hitting one of those tropes or not hitting one of those tropes or not it just it was an eye-opening experience for me, and I just loved it. So that is such an integral part. The music is such an integral part of this movie itself. Um, and that stuck with me, even after after all the all the steaminess, all the great procedural story, the fact that it, it gave me an appreciation for that music and opened up that door for me. I'll never, I'll always be appreciative of that. And the musical choices they made in the movie are good ones to somebody who knows a little something about Zydeco, not a lot. But mm-hmm. I mean, Beausoleil is sort of like the leading Zydeco export of New Orleans. And they, they were the ones that did the opening uh, uh, credits sequence. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, you've got the Neville Brothers and you've got, uh, uh, I don't know who the the band at the party was. And I th- again, that's realistic, too. Like I, the idea that you would go to some house party and there's a band. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. Totally. And you know it's Uncle it's Uncle Lou and yeah. you know cousin Flora like right. everybody somebody's plays got something. an accordion yeah. somebody's got a guitar let's go right yeah. exactly 
And there is a soundtrack to this, which I had on cassette mm-hmm. at one point. Oh, I need fun. to replace that. It's probably streaming somewhere, hopefully. Probably. I have to check. You call it up. I think my final thought is that I would like to go dancing. Sadly, <laughs> Nick is not a keen dancer. But sometimes if I lament to him enough, he will dance with me, which is just terribly exciting. <laughs> but yeah, just like that, that's there's something so romantic about it. I think dancing with your partner, just dancing period is very fun. And uh, I would like to be swept off my feet with dancing. You're here. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Deb, for joining us. I'm so glad that we have you here and suggesting steamy things for us. I look forward to your next suggestion. Oh, and I got to, I don't know if I could top this, mm, but I'll work yeah. on it. Yeah. Challenge. And Shelly, it is always a pleasure when we get to hang out on each other's podcast. So thank you for joining us. It was my pleasure. It was a lot of fun. And I was glad to be reintroduced to a movie that I don't really remember and I'm glad I saw it (laughs) that's fun though because then it's like watching it again for the first time totally yeah so thank you listeners for joining us we will be back again soon and until next time stay safe agents agents of smooch is part of the incomparable network if you are enjoying our show please leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts If you want to join the Smooch Agency, you can become a member of The Incomparable at theincomparable.com slash members. Members can choose to support us and any other shows on the network, and you get extra perks like hanging out in the members-only Slack channel and bonus content such as our growing list of incomprehensible agents of Smooch tipsy commentaries. Thank you for listening. Your next mission will be coming to you soon. (music) Thank you.